It's that time. The bell has rung. Mental punches are about to be thrown. Five, four, three, two, one. Get ready to face off with the strategies and tactics to take on the martial arts of everyday life and win. Welcome to the School of Crazy Monkeys podcast. Here's your hosts, Dr. Rodney King and Aaron Labutier. So Aaron, let everybody know what have you been up to at Free Roots Retreat in beautiful Thailand? Well, I mean, I'm kind of getting ready for everyone to come over, right? I mean, you know, I've been following all of your developments on the Telegram group and been following all the other new avenues of exploration that you've been going down. And I kind of get the feeling that there's going to be a big surge of people visiting you um, here. And I'm just making sure that the retreat is about as amazing as it can be. And that means changing some of the landscaping, making some uh, meditation areas, making some some areas where people can practice various breathing methods and the whole time being very aware that the experience of that needs to be very much aligned with the nature around it. So instead of just building a, a platform for meditation, I'm making sure that there's relevant flowers that are attracting butterflies so that means when you're sitting there contemplating what you have passed um, in your courses that that the experience is augmented by nature if that makes sense right so I'm kind of like looking around trying to think how can I make this place just a little bit more exceptional yeah, I mean, because it's a beautiful place. And I've been, you know, following the photos and the stuff that you've been doing, which just looks fantastic. I like that idea of integrating the natural environment and nature into it. As you know, and for those who don't know, probably because I'm insane, I decided to start a new research degree and uh, kind of in the, the beginning of that. And my focus is on mind, body and ecology. So really about bringing all of ourselves into the natural world and why that's so important for your overall health. And the main motivation for that was actually because of COVID, because, you know, I was supposed to be in Thailand, but I was locked down on the Isle of Man during the COVID kind of, you know, the, the beginning of that, and I couldn't go anywhere. So being on the Isle of Man and it is such a beautiful island. I found myself kind of out in the natural world a lot. And I was just so surprised on how that just changed the way that I was feeling emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And it reminded me of a time when I was a kid where I used to go and visit my aunt who had a, like a small holding. It wasn't really a farm, but just like a small holding. And that was like the most favorite time of my life growing up just being out in the, the natural world, in the African bush. And that just kind of just was like just remembering what that was like. And that really set the tone for, you know, this kind of new adventure, new academic adventure, but also practical adventure into bringing the natural, natural world back into our lives. And it's something that I feel many of us have a longing for. And uh, maybe we haven't been able to put, you know, the finger on what that longing is, but I think it's a big part of it. Do you think that you had 
a better appreciation of nature when you're younger. And I don't mean a cognitively aware, but subconsciously you accepted nature in a deeper way because you weren't you weren't muddied by the traumas of adulthood. Oh, absolutely. I think aesthetically, spiritually, you know what I in fact again, you know, just being on the Isle of Man and being out in nature as I have been just really sparked these memories. And it was so interesting to me that I had forgotten that time, really. You know, I'd forgotten how profound that time was. I mean, as many people who know my life story, I didn't grow up in a perfect environment. I was, you know, government housing, grew up relatively poor. And going to my aunt to that small holding was my escape away from just the horrors of where I was growing up. And that natural world, there was just this beauty and connection that's very hard to explain but it was it was inspiring right and I just remember just spending all day outside I mean there were times I even forgot to come back for lunch you know and it was literally like out of the door first thing in the morning just before the sun was rising and then I would be back when the sun was going down and I was just out in the African bush it was beautiful and yeah, that, that was a very healthy part of my, my, my childhood, which was a very unhealthy childhood, right? So that kind of gave balance, if that makes sense. So COVID for you, I mean, apart from financially being a burden, which has been for everybody, right? So a huge positive that kind of comes across to me, you know, when I read the posts and listen to you talking, be it on, on this channel or just privately between the two of us, is that, that living on the Isle of Man has given you an exceptional insight into a way of living that you may have understood younger in your younger years, but had, had lost the way. And now it's been revitalized, rejuvenated, a memory that has been lost has been replaced. And, and now you're on a much stronger path, right? I mean, mentally, I mean, not financially, mentally. Financially still sucks, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I agree, but I think I was already moving that way, right? Because I spent some time, obviously a a few months there before landing up on the Isle of Man with you in Thailand, right? So I think it was already moving in that direction. But then once I got to the Isle of Man and not being able to go anywhere and all my seminars were put on hold, you know, it's not that it forced me, but it gave me the time and the space to actually go out and just spend that time in nature. I mean, and, and, and it's difficult to explain, I guess, unless people have been to the Isle of Man. And of course, you know, there's a, there is a, a city, if you can call it, that's not really a city. It's like a main street, right? And all these little villages across the island. But I mean, literally, you can just drive not even 60 seconds any, in any direction and you're out in nature. And that's just beautiful. And the natural world yeah, and just what you're able to see is amazing, you know, included with obviously the historical aspect of the island, which has some ruins on it, like kind of our own little Stonehenge, you know, and, uh, you know, the Viking history and, and so forth. It's just, it's just an in- inspiring and energizing place. But the point of that is, is that that's the that's nature everywhere right no matter where you find yourself and so that's why i think it's so important what you're doing and and i love that that you taking into account at the retreat how nature can be integrated into the whole experience right that it's not just something that is separate from it but actually an integral part of the actual retreat and i think that's a really good move you know just just overall because 
when people come down, that's one of the things we want to bring across to them is we want them to be able to re-engage in the natural world. Because I think a lot of us, like I said earlier, have, a, have this longing, you know, there's, there's this part of us that's missing, but we haven't been able to name it. We haven't been able to identify it. And once people are actually in the natural world, just like I experienced again, it's like homecoming, right? It's like coming back to your home. And for that, you know, I just remember this was one experience where I was out and, you know, it was just like this light that appeared within me. I know it sounds almost kind of, you know, kind of mystical, but it was like, oh, I remember this feeling, right? I remember this, this feeling of being in tune with my environment. And I remember it from when I was a kid. And I remember it from that time being on that small holding out in the African bush um, with my aunt. And that's that's just a really powerful place to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And plus it's had, you know, which I've been very open about, right? I mean, I've had my own struggles over the last several years and a lot, I mean, I don't need to go back into that, but as far as mental health goes, I think it's a very powerful experience too. It really is an experience that can help you overcome um, your inner turmoil and difficulties that, that you may be going through. And I just don't think you can achieve that you know, stuck in the civilized modern world in the concrete jungle, so to speak. Well, your favorite author, and I can't remember which cycle he talks about, but Joseph Campbell talks about, you know, the, the right lane or the right path and the left lane, the left path, and whichever one he talks of, one is a kind of community path where, you know, you're born into a community that has a certain set of, of rules that are all, you know, laid out and codified. And it's, it's a very, you know, nice existence and you, you do everything that you're supposed to do. And you, you follow that circle, the circle that the community has created for you, or you go down the other path where you kind of explore the wilderness. And, you know, sometimes I feel that that exploration of the wilderness um, is, is where you get the, the profound, um, inside but but again interestingly you know Joseph Campbell talks about it's not just about going into the wilderness and having an epiphany and you know seeing a burning bush like Moses did or any of the other kind of fables or stories um, it's about bringing that experience back to the community and sharing it and, and not remaining in the wilderness as some kind of hermit I mean I know you know you often joke about you know, the perfect situation would be some little dilapidated house on an island in the middle of nowhere where um, no one could bother you. Um, and, I, and I get that. And, and the more I uh, spend time in nature, the more I understand that desire for solitude. But it is interesting that Joseph Campbell talks about bringing that experience and sharing it. And in, in some way, that's what you're doing with the experiences. Well, I should say that what we're doing with experiences at the retreat is, is sharing what we have found quite delightful and um, powerful and, and seeing if other people can also experience it as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important point. We, that's what we are doing. And in essence, what you're describing there is what Joseph Campbell talked about as the monomyth or the hero's journey, this recurring theme that seems to come up through time and history, right, throughout. So if you go back all the way back to the first kind of descriptions of mythology, the hero's journey is part and parcel of that. And of course, it is part and parcel of many of the, the our favorite movies like Star Wars, for example, right? And Joseph Campbell's point was that you can go on that journey, 
but you are never really a hero unless you come back to the community or the society from where you came from and then you give back what you have learned, right? What have you discovered? And you now offer that as, as a gift, right? And so that's what it means to be a teacher. And both of us are teachers in that sense. And one of the things, of course, that I've realized over this time period is living in South Africa, and especially in Johannesburg, where violence is such a kind of daily occurrence and also being around that environment so much. You know, I ran an academy there. I had horror stories of people coming in telling me horror stories all the time about things that had happened to them. I was just really just situated in a very violent kind of expression, both mentally, emotionally, and just the stories that I was hearing. And that wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for me you know, just for my own mental health and being able to separate myself out from that and just viewing the world in a different way. And Isle of Man has been very powerful for that because it's a really safe place, right? And so for the first time in my adult life and even, you know, in my life in general, have I actually been in a place long enough where it's actually a safe place to live and I don't have to keep looking behind my shoulder. That's been very positive too for my mental health. But coming through that, I've been able to shave off some of those edges that were holding me back. And one of my realizations and just something that I've been thinking about lately is building community, right? How do we build a community of like-minded people that are on this path, that are on this hero's journey, that we can all travel the path together and in the process learn from each other. And then once we've learned something that has really profoundly made a positive shift in our lives, how do we then transfer that over to other people how do we teach other people and i really believe this is where tree roots retreat comes in right that's where the magic of tree roots retreat can come in and aid us in that is be the 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 opportunity or the base to be able to teach that from yeah i mean there there are some negative aspects to this um which i have most probably experienced all of my life but experiencing it maybe a little deeper now, is that if you leave a community that has a set of narratives and everything is codified and you then have an experience with with nature, um, which is profound, then, of course, it's very personal, right? And, you know, Joseph talks about going back to the community and sharing it, but not everybody wants to listen. Not everybody shares your experience because, you know, you would also not have shared it when you were living in the community pre-hero's journey you would have seen someone and you would have thought they were crazy or you would have been inspired by them I mean one of the two right um but the the fact is that when you return and you explain things to people that don't want to listen then you almost ostracize yourself by default from that community um but I suppose the 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 side issue from that is that you create a new community of people that are willing to listen um, and that's also interesting. But recently, when I've spoken about some of my powerful experiences with nature, um, and also to a degree in the tsunami running across the Sahara, all those things, they were also very deep connections to nature. Uh, people just, you can tell by their body language, and, and both of us are relatively um, you know, good at reading body language, and people just look at you like you're just a little bit weird and you just have to turn the volume down and back off and let them continue controlling the conversation 
and let their ego do everything and just quietly sit back and listen and sip your sip your tea. No, I think no, I think you made some very important points there. The one one thing I'll I'll say on that is I think people in inherently deep down inside listen to what we are saying and know it to be true but they're afraid to acknowledge that because in a, in acknowledging it would require them to shift the way that they've been showing up in life which means in essence really shedding all this kind of outward expression that they've been showing to the world and getting in touch with their true nature and that can be scary that's the first thing the second thing to that is is that people oftentimes what I've noticed want to hold on to an image that they've created of you. So there is a certain image that people created of me as a martial arts teacher that they still hold on to, even though the things that they're talking about happened in my early twenties, you know, they'll say Rodney is this kind of person, but that was almost like 30 years ago. Right. And they don't realize that decades have gone by and I'm no longer that person. I'm no longer the Rodney from the early 20s, from my early 20s. Would you, would you say you're no longer that person or it's just a part of your personality that you have a very strong hold over? But I mean, it's still there, right? I mean, it's still an intrinsic part of who you are. You kind of lost it. Or do you think you have? Well, I think what I'm saying is, is that the, the Rodney of early, my early 20s was confused afraid, anxious, not really sure what, what, who he was, right? And was fighting, just using violence, I guess, and just using fighting as a way to try to discover that, but never really getting to who, that, who I really was. But now that I've been going through these transpersonal experiences, especially over the last while, I feel like I've returned to who Rodney really was as a child before I got conditioned, before I got, you know, overladen by all the suffering that I had to endure as a child, you know, before I had the realization that my mother was a raging abusive alcoholic, before I had the realization that I just didn't fit in. You know, there was this innocence, this, this, this original self that just basically got squelched in the process. And I was too afraid to let that person come to the forefront because every time I did, I got a beating for it, right? It's like when I grew up, you never wanted to show people that you were soft or that you were creative or any of, you know, any of those kinds of expressions because you had to be tough. And it was only the tough that survived. And, you know, that's what I forced myself to become. I forced myself to become something that I never was. And then that informed my experience going forward. And it definitely informed my 20s and my 30s. And then going into my 40s, I just realized that, you know, that's not who I was. But it's taken a long time to come back to my original nature who I really was as a kid, as a child. And when I describe those times on that small holding in the African bush as, as a kid, I was a very different child to what I became as a young adult, right? And, you know, if I, the bottom line is if I was brought up in a different environment, right? So let's say I wasn't brought up in government housing on the south side of Johannesburg on borderline poverty 
and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have an alcoholic, abusive mother. I knew who my father was. I was brought up in a, in a good home. I would have turned out very differently. And I probably, well, I wouldn't have done all the things that I did, you know, when I was much younger. I mean, a lot of people talk about core personality traits. I mean, you know, one could argue that, you know, you had a difficult life, childhood, I should say. You had a difficult childhood. You, you did have options to respond differently. There's a lot of people that have been through difficult childhoods that uh, don't handle it or did not handle it the same way that you did. But you handled it with a kind of ferocity um, and attack, which tends to suggest that maybe that was a core personality trait. I mean, I know that your emotions were heavily dictated by the environment, but you could have been a completely different person and just, um, you know, shied away and been a shrinking, shrinking violet about the whole thing and grown up to be someone that was um, very nervous and twitchy and no confidence. But it was the complete opposite. It's almost as if that needed to happen for the the caterpillar to turn into, dare I say, the butterfly, because you're nothing like a butterfly. You, you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what am I? I'm more like a moth. <laughs> I don't know. You're more like a you're more, you're more like a bald moth, right? But 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 you know what I'm saying that that you needed to go through that for you to become this. No, absolutely. I mean, look, what I've learned and what I've become, I really love who I am, right? And I love where I'm going, and I wouldn't change that for the world. And yeah, maybe I would never have come to where I am in my life had I not gone through that. So no, I wouldn't have changed it. I mean, it's also I had to get to the point which I have is where I've had to honestly deal with my trauma growing up and accept that it happened. And as I often say, you know, you need to be careful that you don't use your trauma to now define who you are now, right? Well, the reason I'm like this is because my life was so fucked up, right? I'm an asshole because my life was so fucked up. So no wonder I'm, I'm the kind of person I am now is that you need to look exactly as you're saying is, what were the teaching moments? What were the learning moments? What did you learn from that experience? And I learned a ton, right? I, exactly that. I wouldn't be where I am. It's just that what I notice is, is that some people feel like they want to hold you in a, in, a, in a space and a time that you are no longer there, right? It's like they don't like the fact that it makes them feel uncomfortable that you're not the person that they want you to be, right? Whatever that be, either because that's what they feel they would aspire to because I, I guess for some people being able to do the violence is something that they wish that they could do. You know what I mean? Be the badass, you know, be the fighter because they think that if they can be that, that life would be a lot easier for them or they just don't like me. Right. And they've decided they don't like me as a person. And it's much easier not to like me if they can still think of me as the 20, 22, 21 year old. Right. You know, and, and now that I'm not that anymore, well, what do they do with that? It's confusing. You know what I mean? It's like, what do I do now? Because this isn't, this isn't the person that I thought he was. He's, he's completely different now. And that's the beauty about, you know, our journey as human beings is that we, it's a story really, right? We're living a story. And like any story, you get to choose not only how that story unfolds, but you also get to choose how it, uh, how it ends.
the conclusion, right? And so for some people, they've already made a conclusion of who you are, even though that was like something that was like, I keep saying was decades ago. You know, they, they forget that, you know, we were all something very different, I, I would hope, when we were in our 20s compared to when we were in our 40s, right? And I'm going to be somebody different when I'm 60. And that's the beautiful thing about the human experience is that it's never set in stone and we can change and we can evolve and we grow and we can decide where we want to go. And I, I don't want to be consumed or live a life that's only about survival. You know, I want to thrive, right? I want to thrive. So what does that mean to thrive then for me? And that's really what I think most of us are trying to work out for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, there, I, I can't remember if we spoke about this, but it's certainly something I've spoken to a lot of people about um, in quite a profound, deep way. And, and this is the trauma that, that people have from their childhood, especially um, love that wasn't given from a mother or a father. But if we just take the, the mother issue, um, one thing that has been discussed in various groups is this concept of coming from your mother or coming through your mother and the, the idea is, is that you come through your mother and the universe doesn't really give any any connection between you and your mother um, the narrative is that all mothers love their children unconditionally that's what we're sold in Hollywood and that's what we're sold you know as we grow up but the more you speak to people the more you realize that that's just not the case and that you are the product of a, of a one night stand or whatever else it is. And you spend your entire life trying to desperately get the attention and love from someone that, that didn't, doesn't have to give it to you in the first place. And, and you die very unhappy. I, I'm lucky that I have one of those Hollywood mothers. You know, she would die for me if I said to her, you know, that was the deal. Then she would kill herself on the spot. There's no question. I, I'm lucky, but I'm I'm starting to realize that I'm also in the minority when it comes to things like that. But the point is that people are desperately trying to look for things that they feel like they're owed, like the love from a mother. Mm. It, it's it's not a, a, a constant, or it's, it's it, it it depends on the relationship, right? Yeah, no, I think what you said is really important. I mean, just reflecting on my own, you know, childhood, right? Um, almost definitely I came about because of my mom having an affair with a married man. That's almost, that's almost a given. Um, I mean, I still to this day don't even know who my father was. I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him. I mean, these are just little things that I picked up when my mother was in her drunken state and in a rage and she was raging with my gran or whatever and, and things would slip. Right. Um, so that's it. And, and that's, that's, that haunts you. You know, because, you know, being a father myself, I can understand that. It's like I never knew who this person was, but, you know, he's 50% of me, you know, in that sense. And who was he? And am I the way that I am and the, the edges that I have and the things that I feel I can't overcome? Is that because genetically that's where it comes from? You know, who knows? You know, it's very difficult to, to, to get your head around it. And on top of that, my mother never once in her entire life until she, well, never because you know she passed away from cancer but she never once said to me that she loved me not once so i never heard that growing up ever that's a tough call and the other thing that i often talk about is how she had this ability to you know whatever 
go into a drunken rage, throw things around, be super abusive, say the meanest things like, I wish you were never born and stuff like that. Go to sleep, wake up the next morning and act like nothing had happened. No apology. She never once ever said sorry. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that 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 type of childhood must, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine because like I said, my my childhood was the complete opposite. I mean, my mum would tell me she loved me a hundred times you know, and, and that, that was before lunchtime. Um, so I can't even imagine what that must be like, but it, it must be extremely tough to try and break free from that cycle, especially that that she died, right? Because then you can't even like go up to her and at least try and have a conversation, say, hey, listen, why? And she can turn around and say, well, you know, at the time I was going through bad, such a bad time, I was an alcoholic, I'm so sorry for what I did for you, but let's make it up now. And, you know, that story. But you've even been denied that. So it's like a double whammy. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, what also happened was that always, you know, stood out for me was that I remember having this conversation with her when she was near, you know, near death. And she had been diagnosed with cancer and pretty much there was nothing they could do for her. And she knew she was dying. And in the last couple of months of her life, she stopped drinking. And I remember having this conversation. I said, well, now that you know that you're going to die, now suddenly you can stop drinking. But for all those years that I begged you and pleaded and I was in tears begging you to stop drinking because it was destroying our family, it was destroying you, it was destroying my life, you couldn't do it. You know, you just couldn't do it. Now that you know that you're dying, now you can, right? And she had nothing to say back to me. Because, I mean, I got kicked out of the house you know, at 17. So I didn't speak to her for years until actually she was, she was ill. She was dying, you know. And so that's the thing, too, that, that I try to bring across to people is that, you know, one of the reasons I got into martial arts is because I was trying to find a way out of this hellhole that I, that I was in. And, you know, I was getting beaten up all the time. There were, you know, bullies at school. There were gangs in my neighborhood. I mean, it was, it was horrendous. And so the only thing that I could see that was a viable way out was fighting. You know, if I could use my fists, this was one way to get out of there. And like it or not, this is just the reality. I learned this really early on, right? If you can kick, kick ass, especially guys, they leave you alone and their attitude about you changes, right? And when I started fighting back as a teenager and I was like, fuck this shit, right? I'm not taking this anymore. I don't care if I die. I'm just going to just fight back no matter if I win or lose. I don't care. I'm going to overcome my fear. And that was the attitude I had. And when I started fighting back and I actually started winning, everybody that used to pick on me all the time now suddenly stopped their shit and left me alone. It's a powerful feeling, right? And so rightly or wrongly, in, at that moment in time, I realized to myself, I was like, okay, if I get even better at this fighting thing, then people are going to be even, you know, even more respectful of me. I'm going to not even try to step on my toes. And so that informed me going into my martial arts career, and especially in my 20s, right, where I was all about the fight. I just wanted to learn the best possible way to dispense with another human being, in front of me that was giving me shit, right? And then I spent several years as a doorman, which probably wasn't good for that either. So then I was fighting all the time too. I find it fascinating. And this is one of the things that we now know as we have become mature adults, you know, both of us know this, is that it's important to know your students' background and their stories because that will tell you why they're showing up the way that they're showing up, right? 
And nobody ever that I can remember ever is if we can call them the people that were my coaches, so to speak, not once asked me, why are you showing up the way that you're showing up? Why are you so angry? Why are you so pissed off with the world? Why are you the way that you are? You know, not once did I get asked that. However, they had no problem using it to their, to their own ends, right? So, you know, I remember, and I'm not going to say which organization and group, but I remember. Because we all know. Because we all know already. Yeah. I, I, I remember, you know, where I was on early days, early 20s on a seminar and other guys had pitched up at the seminar and they were giving people on the mat from our group a hard time. And I was sent in to basically teach them a lesson, right? Because that particular person knew that I was the pit bull and I could get in there and do the business. That was fine. That was fine. They would use me for that, but, but, but not once ever did they try to help me. Not once did they say, hey, listen, man, why are you like this? There's another way to show up in the world. And that's really become my mission. That's become my, my whole kind of mission in martial arts. That's why I talk about Matt Street and life is I don't want people to show up like that. I mean, we can, yes, we can make the argument that I needed to go through that to get to where I am and all those kinds of things. But I'm also very well aware that that's not a good way to show up in life. And it's just not good for you and your psyche. And down the road, it's going to inherently cause you a lot of, a lot of problems. Do you, do you think that maybe, you know, you go back 10, 15 years and there was this uh, very noticeable split between the traditional martial arts of karate and Kung Fu and Aikido and everything else. And then the kind of MMA world where, you know, you'd, you'd go to a, a, a jits class and, you know, you wouldn't bow in front of a, a picture of some founder and it, it was just a different vibe. Right. But there is something to be said. And it, it's it's what I'm realizing now, almost going full circle in my martial arts journey is, you know, when I started Kung Fu at 13 or 14 and I had my my Sifu, this kind of like father like figure that that taught me without me knowing a lot more than just um, how to do techniques. I mean, this, this concept of traditional martial arts giving you uh, a sense of belonging and some ethics and, and all of the things that we see in the old Japanese cultures, some modern martial arts may be missing that. I mean, that's something that I know that we're, we're very keen on, on doing, but maybe the MMA scene could go a little bit full circle and start embracing some of that traditional martial art theory. No, I think it's an important point. I mean, the way that I often describe it is this, right? In traditional martial arts, there has always been what we can call a life-affirming, healthy philosophy attached to it, right? It was always more than just about learning how to protect yourself, which is, I think is a beautiful thing. The problem that often arose was that what was being taught, the physical techniques didn't match up, right? So a lot of it wasn't practical and functional. So in a way, what happened is it neutralized out the potential of that philosophy. When we think about like the modern expressions of martial arts, MMA, especially reality-based self-defense, which is really all focused on performance, it's focused on the fight, they've completely stripped out all the art, right? That philosophy is no longer something that they even think about. I mean, you will often see posts on Facebook by these reality-based self-defense people where they, they kind of say, they talk about that part of the art as something as negative, right? We don't, we don't have time for that. We just want to learn how to 
how to defend ourselves. We want to learn how to fight, right? That's the number one focus. The problem there, of course, is that all their focus is in, in, in the fight. And so they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And now they don't have the art. So that in my, at least in my opinion, they don't have that balance, right? And I speak from my own experience because I came through traditional martial arts from six years old. You know, I don't talk about that a lot because it doesn't come up a lot in conversation. But I have a couple of black belts in karate. I fought for the South African military karate team. I mean, you know, I have, I have a long history in karate from when I was six years old because I was trying to learn how to defend myself, right? And that seemed, there was the only available thing at the time when I was growing up in South Africa. Martial arts wasn't on every street corner. There was a karate school. Maybe you could find a judo school if you were in, you know, if you were part of the Afrikaans community, there was wrestling that wasn't really available. And there were some boxing gyms, but I went the karate route because that was the closest thing to me and walking distance from my house, right? So again, as you even noted there, I remember the karate instructor specifically talking about the ethical application of those techniques, right? He would say that a karateka does not go out and create violence. You don't learn karate to use it against other people, right? And he would often talk about, which had never made any sense to me until now as an as an adult, he would say, a karateka never throws the first punch, right? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? You know, where I come from, you got to hit first. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you, you're not going to survive. But I get what, they, what, what he's saying now, right? And I think it's important. And that's one of the things I've tried to do, you try to do, we try to do collectively as the school of Crazy Monkey, right? Within all our programs, because we have people that are teaching Crazy Monkey Defense, the stand-up program. We have people just teaching jiu-jitsu. We have people that are doing our Weaponize Your Body program, which is more self-preservation oriented. And then the kind of small aspects of that, the edge defense program or the street jits, whatever that may be. We have, you know, trainers teaching all of them or just some of them. But our philosophy, the underlying philosophy in all our programs is the same. And I want to make sure that we show up balanced, right? That we are not bringing more violence to the world that actually what we're doing is we're making not only the world a safer place, but we in ourselves are less violent. And so I think that's, that's where that healthy philosophy of the traditional martial arts has enormous value. And it's very sad to see that it's completely been stripped out. Well, that, that's where the, the, whole, the whole Matt Street life philosophy of, of your brand is, is, is interesting to everyone that follows you. And from a personal perspective, I mean, if I, if I look at the Matt Street life, as I get older, the street part is definitely something that is kind of falling by the wayside. And that's only because it's driven by my environment. You know, I, the, the, the closest I get to anything that's a kind of confrontation is maybe a group of rather aggressive butterflies at the bottom of the garden. So, you know, street for me is not particularly a thing that I need to worry about anymore. I mean, in my younger years, yeah, sure. Um, so now, not so much. Life, I mean, that, that, that blend of mat and life, I'm noticing more and more every day when somebody comes to roll and they've had a particularly bad night before or they're going through some trauma, I'm starting to sense it in the role because they seem so keen on trying to hurt me or submit me or they just feel different. And I just stop and say, you know, what's what's wrong, man? You're rolling really 
nasty you know it's like i got bad energy and they're like oh you know and then we end up talking for 20 minutes about the problem and then uh i will suggest something different say well would you fancy like uh, sitting on the grass and just meditating for 10 minutes well you know what i'd love to do that so then we end up not rolling and just going off and breathing for 10 minutes and then maybe we'll go back on the madden roll and it's a completely different experience or maybe we don't maybe they'll just turn around and say you know what today was just not a good day for me to roll i just better to have a chat with you and 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 do some breathing exercises and that's where that that um connection to life comes in right and i would never have done that in my younger years if somebody would have come onto the mat and been aggressive then i just would have tried to match it because that's what i would have thought was the formula right you just match aggression for aggression but it's amazing how quickly people open up when you just stop and call them on their aggression and say why you i mean for what reason are you so aggressive i mean especially in thailand why why i mean you're living in a tropical paradise why are you bring in all of this negativity into the retreat and then throwing it all on me and trying to bust my joints up um and people normally talk and quite deep yeah so that's that's beautiful though because that's the difference between an instructor and a coach and that comes back to what i was talking about earlier what you were doing is exactly what should have been done for me when i was in that space right when i was in my early 20s if those people around me were really true coaches that's what they should have done and they never did and that's my realization and that's how i've tried to change the way we do things right so in the school of crazy monkey regardless of which program we're teaching this is our philosophy exactly what you did epitomizes what our end goal is but in order to do what you did takes enormous amount of maturity you have to put your ego aside as you said right like when i was younger i wouldn't have done that either what i would have done is oh you want to come in and hurt me i'm going to teach you a lesson right and i would just basically smash the person in front of me and then walk off the mat pissed off now we able and this is through understanding what it is to be a genuine coach a heartfelt coach with compassion for our fellow human beings and for our students of course and say hold on a second what's really going on here why are you doing what you're doing because the body never lies and it's powerful right and so then the goal then is exactly that when people say so what's the goal of training martial arts i say well i can't speak for everybody but i'll tell you what i want to do if i'm getting on the mat and let's say i come to the mat i'm you know whatever i'm upset i'm feeling aggressive or whatever the, whatever things have just been going wrong in my life and i'm feeling on edge and i get on the mat and i spar or roll or whatever i do for that hour and i get off the mat and i feel calm i feel relaxed i feel centered i feel focused then that was what it should be about for me right if i'm getting off the mat more pissed off more angry then that is not what i wanted to be about and for many years that's exactly what my experience was I came onto the mat angry and I left the mat even more pissed off, right? And that's going to have a obviously a psychological effect on you. You're going to prime yourself in that way. In a similar light it might seem different, but it's something that I posted just this week on our Telegram group, the video that I made this point of saying because I keep having these people um personal message me right be it on Facebook or wherever and saying you know asking me about tips and whatever for self preservation and the stuff that they're asking for the stuff that they are kind of attending to 
is really primal. It's really aggressive. And when I dig deeper and I go, well, why do you need to know this? Are you living in a really bad part of the world? Because that's what I'm expecting. Oftentimes that's not the case, right? They're living in these you know, affluent countries like Denmark and Sweden and Norway and places like that. And I'm like, why are you focusing on this? Like, why are you saying that? Oh, you know, the, the world is a really scary, bad place, you know, and you need to know how to protect yourself because there's a bad guy on every street corner. And then when you dig even deeper and you say, okay, what are you spending your time doing? When you look closely at like, what are you actually looking at? And it turns out that they've gone down the reality-based self-defense rabbit hole on social media, right? So they start watching all of these extreme, perverted, hardcore, aggressive attitudes towards self-preservation, the kinds of stuff that you hear, like, you know, you have to match your killer instinct with the person who is trying to hurt you. Otherwise, you don't stand a chance. Or they're talking about, you know, preemptive striking, always hit first, and this hyper-aggressive stuff. If you start watching that stuff, the algorithm is set up in such a way that it's going to feed you more of that. And then it's also going to feed you stuff that is around it on the periphery. So now all of a sudden you start seeing videos of people being attacked and all the things that are, you know, loosely associated to it. And before you know it, that's the only thing you see. And it has such a profound effect on the human psyche when people do this that that's how they see the world. That's what they think the world is, right? Because they're not balancing it out. And coming back to the discussion of, you know, the martial and the art, I think historically speaking, especially the older guys, right? The mentors, the, the old school guys, the guys that had gone through the rinse cycle of the fight have come through that and realized that balance is very important. And it's one of the reasons why they gave so much attention to the art is because if you only focus on the fight, the, the paradox of that is that's what you get. You get more of the fight. You know what I mean? It's like if you walk, if you think that the world is such a bad place and everybody's out to get you, then you will find those problems and you'll find them in the most, you know, obscure places that you never thought possible. So maybe like you go down to Tesco's and some guy looks at you wrong or bumps into you. And instead of just being relaxed about it, your reaction is an aggressive reaction because you, you hyped up your sympathetic nervous system is running hot because all you've been digesting is all of this incredibly negative stuff and not realizing that actually the social media platforms are manipulating you because they're trying to get you to stay on their platform. And so if you go down the rabbit hole of reality-based self-defense and all the videos and all the associations around it for several hours, that's exactly what Facebook wants. It wants you to be there for seven hours because then in the process of doing that, it can sell you all the adverts. And then all of a sudden, all the sponsored adverts that you see are for these hardcore, extreme, reality-based self-defense products. And then, you know, they come to us and we go, yeah, but we're not like that. And they can't understand that because in their mind, we should also be like that. You guys say you're teaching self-preservation, but why aren't you teaching preemptive striking and, you know, fish hooking and, you know, you know, ripping people's faces off and shit. I mean, it's just crazy. We have nonsense. I think for me, the secret, I mean, for me, the secret is, you know, don't believe everything you think. Uh, once once you wrap your head around that then you then you realize that there's potential for growth because if you believe everything that you think then it's it's not going to work out well for you because your 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 ego 
and your subconscious gives you thoughts and ideas which aren't always necessarily true. You go into Tesco and someone looks at you funny. Maybe it's because they just started wearing new glasses or they've had eye surgery and they're squinting to see how much the Mestos toilet cleaner is. It's got nothing to do with you at all. No, exactly. And, you know, when you start kind of approaching life in that way, of course, I'm always ready and prepared to do what I need to do, right? But I don't want to walk around the world and, and just thinking that there's a, there's a problem on every, every corner, right? That's crazy because you become paranoid and it affects you. It affects everything. It affects everything. People don't realize that. It affects how you interact with other people, how your relationships unfold, all of that stuff, right? And so my, my suggestion to people is realize that when you're on social media, like it or not, you are being manipulated. The algorithm is watching what you are looking at and is then curating whatever is in front of you in accordance with that, right? Like I said on Telegram is that I tried that out just to see and it got, that's exactly what happens. Within two weeks, that's all I was seeing. I was only seeing the really perverted, extreme reality-based self-defense stuff. And then I spent two weeks flipping the switch, so to speak, and now only looking at positive things, whatever, like, you know, cute little puppy videos or whatever that is. And that's all I ended up seeing. That's just the reality. So, you know, if you're going to focus on that part of the martial arts world, that's all you're going to see. But then you're also going to think that everybody's out to get you. And exactly as you noted, things that probably wouldn't even have bothered you in the past now all of a sudden become a problem i know we're running out of time or we're getting close to the the end but there, there's something that you've mentioned you know yeah. if you spend a lot of time on facebook then it notices what you're looking at and then it it gives you that because it it designs the algorithm and you 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 see what ultimately you want to see and i think the same is very true when you spend a lot of time in nature because if you spend a lot of time in nature then without becoming too blue light as you call it then the universe sees what you're looking at and it gives you accordingly what you need to see and that's the beauty of it so it's almost like social media but it's just a better experience well i think the tagline there is what you focus on you become i mean that's just that's it right and so that becomes your reality so what i would ask people to do um not to kind of, I guess, yeah, it's, I guess we're selling it a bit there, but I would want people, once the world starts opening up again, you know, once this whole COVID thing hopefully starts dying down a little bit and we can travel and do what we did in the past, is for people to come down to Tree Roots and join us. And I think that's really a powerful thing for people to do is actually have an experience, stop doing all these things virtually. It'll never ever come close to what it actually is to be with other pe people in communion, in, you know, on purpose, with a purpose, right? To learn how to thrive using the martial arts as one of the primary vehicles, but then also connecting to all these other things that we've been talking about in, in nature, because that's one of the ways to really just come home to yourself. I mean, people lose themselves in this virtual world. They lose their true nature, their true potential, and they because the whole thing has been rigged, you know, you end up not being able to distinguish between what's real and what's not real. And nothing's ever going to be able to take the place of the actual experience with other people. And that's what I would invite people to come down and do at Tree Roots is spend time with us, you know, learn jujitsu, learn crazy monkey boxing, learn what it is to reconnect to nature. What is it to be mindful? You know, how, how can we bring meditation into into your life in a positive way so that you can navigate the chaos 
that we all have to deal with because, you know, yes, you know, the blue light thing, right. Is that I still want to be functional. I still want to be practical. I want people to come down. I want them to just shake off all the worries of the world, but I also want them to be able to go back into that world because there's no way to get out of it. We still have to interact with the modern world, but do it in such a way that it's on your own terms, right? That you can choose purposely choose to show up with poise, with focus and clarity and equanimity. You get to choose that. And rather than your strings being pulled and other people making the choice for you, and I think that's really the art of self-reliance, right? I mean, that's what the whole point is, is that you then get to choose. And that's a powerful thing. And I think that's the thing, my realization of growing up is that I was fighting so hard to prove myself, but really what I was trying to do is prove myself to everybody else, right? And so everybody else was basically pulling my strings, and then they could manipulate me as they, as they needed, right? If they needed me to be more violent than they could. Finally, you know, as we've grown older, I'm at the point now where I know that I made that choice. It was a conscious choice. Well, yeah, but if we apply our travel agent philosophy, then you didn't make that choice at all. This was all, you, you chose all of this. You sat in the desk pre-Rodney pre King and said, right, I'm going to tick the box for abusive mother, tough childhood, realization in my late 40s. And then you made, you made the list. You're just, you're just living out what you've already chosen. But I think you need it. We need to, give, and we got a bit of time here. We need to give a little bit of a backstory on this because people are going to be like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Right. So five years ago, we were talking about a few whiskeys later the nature of existence, why are we, uh, what is the point of being, you know, yeah, in, in, on this particular planet, you know, why, why is it happening? And, and I made the argument that maybe what happens is that we come back multiple lives, not just on this planet, but other planets, but each time we die, we go back to the travel agent in the universe and the travel agent sits down with us and says, okay, so you've done earth, and where do you want to go next? And we said, oh, okay, we want to go, yeah, next. And then there's like this whole um, kind of menu of how your life is going to be experienced, right? Like you said, right? okay, you know what? The, this time around was way too easy and I really didn't grow as much as a spiritual being. So I need a little bit more kind of edge this time. So let me get an abusive alcoholic mother, put that in, you know what I mean? Let's put some poverty in there. Let's start off really hard, right? And let's see how we end up, right? And so it's the cycle of each time coming back to the travel agent and like, okay, so you're back again, right? You've done that life. What's next? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's probably, it might be like that. I like it because, you know, think about all the planets in the, in the universe that has potential life. Could you imagine how we could come back every time completely different? Oh, and that was the other thing about the discussion, right? The, the point of the whole thing was, is that yes, you can, get, you can choose where you wanna go, you can choose off the menu, but you will never remember that you made that choice. So you show up like clean slate every single time. The only time you remember that that was what you chose is when you come back to the travel agent after you died. Or the only way that you get an insight is when you start practicing deep meditation and other things where you rewire your brain and somehow you get some memory recall. Well, that's for another discussion because that's where plant medicine comes in, right? 
things like you know psilocybin and ayahuasca and so on but yeah we'll, we'll that's for another discussion but yeah you start to realize oh shit man <laughs> i've done this before and actually i asked for this oh crap <laughs> anyway all right cool man that's awesome i think that 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 was good and uh yeah, as always, you know, when people are listening to this, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, as you have realized, we do not just only talk about martial arts. Great, yeah. It was great chatting to you again. Until the next episode, get out there and spread some crazy monkey magic. For more information on all things Crazy Monkey, head over to the schoolofcrazymonkey.com.